Hi, everyone. Hi, room. Uh, my name is Lauren McGahey. I'm a reporter with the Houston Chronicle. I'm based here in Austin. One of my beats is uh, public education, so that's why I was chosen for this panel. Um, welcome. Uh, on behalf of the Texas Tribune, I would like to welcome you to the fifth annual Texas Tribune Festival and to this panel, which is entitled Why Pre-K Matters. And we have a, we have a great list of uh, panel members. Um, I'm going to introduce them briefly. Um, and uh, just to let you know, this is only about an hour. We're going to try to have 15 to 20 minutes for questions at the end. So uh, you know, we have a lot to talk about. Hopefully, we can get to, to everything in an hour. Um, if you could silence your phones, that would be great. Put them on vibrate. And I'm supposed to tell you, if you want to tweet, the hashtag is t hashtag TTF. Um, and uh, let's get started. I'm going to start from the other end and, and come this way with my intros. We have Representative Dan Huberty there on the end. And uh, he's a Republican uh, State House member. He was elected to represent the humble area and surrounding in 2011. He chairs the subcommittee on educator, educator quality and also sits on at least last session, on calendars, public ed, and state affairs. Um, he, if you know him, he has a strong education background. Uh, he served as the president of the Humble Independent School District from 2006. And his background is especially pertinent to this panel because he was also uh, the individual that carried uh, House Bill 4, the high quality pre-K bill during the 2015 legislative session. Uh, he is a self-employed business consultant a father of three kids and husband to Janet, his wife of 20 years. And he's also known in the legislature, not just for his leadership on education issues, but for being a snazzy dresser and <laughs> an unapologetic uh, proponent of the seersucker suit. So that's Dan <laughs> um, And then <laughs> uh, next to Representative Huberty, we have uh, Helen Giddings, who is by far, has the most tenure on the panel um, among the legislators. Uh, she is currently serving her 11th term, or just served her 11th term in the State House, uh, representing the DeSoto area. She is the Vice Chair of State Affairs and Appropriations Article 3, a subcommittee Article 3, which deals with uh, education budget. And uh, education has consistently been one of her top focuses during her time in and out of the legislature. She's uh, also a small business owner. And Representative Giddings is also dedicated to supporting the arts and encouraging and improving trade and cultural relations between South Africa and the United States. I found this very interesting. Uh, in fact, Prairie View A&M has established a scholarship in her honor on that subject. And she has received awards and recogni recognition from world leaders, including Nelson Mandela. So Representative Giddings. Uh, next to her, we have, where's the rest of them? Here we go. <laughs> Uh, we have Libby Doggett, and Libby Doggett oversees the early learning portfolio of the U.S. Department of Education, which consists of two major projects, Race to the Top, which we've all heard about, uh, which is early, early Learning Challenge, and the Preschool Development Grants. Before joining Ed, Doggett worked with the Pew Charitable Trust, which I remember from my time in Washington, to direct two campaigns, uh, one to build home visiting programs for infants and toddlers, and the other, which is called Pre-K Now, to secure high quality voluntary pre-kindergarten for all three and four year olds in states across the country. Uh, she returned to the Department of Education, where in the 90s, she served as executive director of the Federal Interagency Coordinating Council 
for infants, toddlers, and preschools with disabilities in their family. Uh, she's a Texas native and uh, spends a lot of time in Austin. And something I learned about her today was she met her husband, Lloyd, uh, when, uh, here at the University of, uh, uh, of Texas at Austin when he was running for class president. Is that correct? Student body president. Student body president. And she held all of the votes or the votes he needed to win the election um, at her sorority and helped him win. So that's how they met. <laughs> that's good. It's a fun story. Yeah, that's um, a good one. Uh, next to Ms. Dawkins, we have uh, Diego Bernal, who is a Democratic State House member elected to represent San Antonio quite recently, in 2015. Uh, before serving in the legislature, uh, Bernal spent four years on the San Antonio City Council, where he worked to regulate payday lenders, and he helped pass the city's non-discrimination ordinance to protect LGBT San Antonians. He has been all over. Uh, he attended the University of Michigan, worked as a social worker in Detroit, returned to San Francisco, uh, um, sorry, also worked in York as a civil rights attorney. And then after finishing law school, he came back to Texas, uh, returned to San Antonio to work for the Mexican American Legal Defense and Educational Fund, which is one of the entities that has sued the state over uh, state public funding of education, uh, questioning the constitutionality of the school finance system here in Texas. Uh, you might know him, though, as DJ Diego Bernal. Uh, <laughs> he is uh, a, an award-winning, I would like to say, recognized DJ, uh, <laughs> whose music has garnered acclaim uh, down in San Antonio across the state. And he just uh, returned from New Orleans where he was on his honeymoon, so welcoming him back to Texas. And then finally... We have someone very important in my life, because I call her all the time. Uh, we have Chandra Villanueva. She is an education and pensions policy analyst, the Center of Public Policy Priorities here in Austin. She also serves on the Consumer Satisfaction Advisory Board for Capital Metro, and is an advisory board member for the Center on Children and Family at the Columbia University School of Nursing. Uh, before CPPP, she was the manager of advocacy and public policy with the Women's Prison Association in uh, New York City. She has a master's degree from NYU, a BA from the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, and is an avid knitter. Um, she knits things during the house in the House and Senate <laughs> galleries during debates, and uh, receives many annoying phone calls from the press, including me uh, repeatedly employing her to explain school finance to me. So that's Miss Villanueva on the side. <laughs> Whew, okay, <laughs> we're through that. Um, so we're going to open up our discussion on pre-K uh, with Libby Doggett, who's center stage here in the middle. Um, coming from the U.S. Department of Education, and I, I want you to give us kind of a 30,000-foot view of where Texas pre-K falls nationally, how we're doing, and how we could do better. So, uh, thank you yes. very much. Sorry, I'm delighted to be here, delighted to see so many old friends and talk about a subject that's dear to my heart. Uh, first of all, why preschool? I know you probably know because people who generally come to this kind of uh, session already know a lot about it. But we, do, we are talking about this because of the strong research behind it. We know that from now, now from actually brain imaging, that 90% of a brain growth occurs by the age of five. That's before kids go to kindergarten. Learning gaps appear as early as nine months. A disadvantaged children can come to school 18 months behind, knowing half as many words. 
One study showed that if children start school ready to learn, they're twice as likely to read at grade level by age eight, and we know that's a critical time. Another study showed that if children read at grade level by age eight, they're four times more likely to graduate from high school, and we know how important that is. And then finally, if children graduate from high school, on average, they'll earn $500,000 more, live nine years longer, and be six times less likely to be arrested. I mean, that's compelling. So I think we're not talking about why pre-K, but nexus. There are a number of studies, but I'm not going to go into it, but there really is a strong research base which uh, is un underlies those facts I just gave you. Uh, and one other fact that I think is critically important for Texas is that dual language learners do particularly well. Uh, it's great for kids to be able to go into preschool at age three and four and really learn English. I hope they are also learning Spanish and becoming proficient in both languages before they have to learn to read. It's very difficult to come to school and have to learn to read in a language you don't speak. So, the, and, and the research out of North Carolina, of all places, shows us that dual language learner kids do best. So for a national snapshot, Preschool, we spend about $4,600 per child. In K-12, we spend about $12,000 per child. So $4,000 as opposed to $12,000. So generally, across the country, we're not spending enough. Across the country, we also have uh, a lot of variety in preschool. There are multiple funding sources. There are multiple places. Generally, in Texas, it's provided through the public schools. But in other parts of the country, it's provided through a diverse delivery system. Uh, we have a lot, uh, you know, funding, I said, was varied. We have federal Title I money. State, states are putting a lot of money, more than Texas. And uh, then we have parent fees paying for preschool. Uh, they differ by the population served. Uh, some states, like Texas, have said we're only going to serve children uh, at such, uh, you know, low-income children. We're, we've fortunately added military children, homeless children, foster care children here in Texas. Other states, and this is the trend, are moving toward preschool for all because they realize this is really important and you're really missing the middle-income families that are struggling to find quality for their children. So in Texas, um, let me get to that because I know that's what uh, Lauren want me to talk about. We have one of the most expansive preschool programs. We serve over 50% of our children uh, because there's so many poor children here. Uh, we we uh, serve 52% according, according to the National Institute for Early Education Research. So that's fantastic. We have strong reach. That's exciting. That means we have the system in place to provide the program that's needed. The problem is that quality is critical. So if you look at the amount of spend, spending, which of course is what buys that quality, we are ranked low. We're, uh, we uh, spend about $3,400. And so I said the average across the country is $4,500. And we really need to be up in the more $12,000 because there's no reason that a pre-K classroom should be more poorly, poorly, poorly funded as compared to a fourth grade classroom. So we rank ninth in terms of access for four-year-olds. That's pretty good, ninth. We rank, uh, but we rank 29th in terms of spending. And then the most important point I want to make is our quality is not good. And you're going to hear from Diego and others about what districts are doing to make up for the poor quality that's funded at the state level. 
But if you don't have good quality, you don't get those outcomes I just talked about. So we have a system that has so much potential, but because we're not putting in enough money, we're not reaping the benefits that we really need to reap. They're not everything you need, but they're a really good starting point. We have two of them in place across the, across the state. Districts are making up for that because they know that if you have no limit on the class size, you just have crowd control. Can you imagine 24 four-year-olds in a classroom with one teacher? I mean, it, you can't do the kind of training and teaching that those children need. So we have a lot to do in terms of making up for the quality. Um, other states are moving way, way ahead of us. Alabama, a state not known for its uh, being on the progressive end. Uh, the, the governor there, Governor Bentley, is determined by the time he leaves office, he will have preschool for every four-year-old. They're putting in $10 million a year. I know it's a small state, so $10 million is a lot of money. Their, their rating on the 10 benchmarks is a 10. So they are putting in place a high-quality program. They're doing it very deliberately, and um, they're, they're reaping incredible results. Uh, another state that we might want to talk about would be um, Michigan another uh, uh, Republican governor in place. They have put in $130 million over the last couple of years and expanded their preschool program. And once again, it's a high-quality program. And then I just want to end with states aren't waiting for the federal government to act, and we don't want states to wait for the federal government to act because we know that Washington is pretty broken at this point. But cities aren't waiting as well. And we have really good work going on here in Austin. I know Diego is going to talk about the incredible work in San Antonio, there's wonderful work in Houston, Fort Worth, and Dallas. And I was recently down in San Marcos at the new preschool center there. So we're, we're really putting the burden on our local districts to make up for what the state isn't doing. Uh, finally, I want to end with the idea that in other states, they're, they're talking about preschool, but they're also talking about how are we going to sustain the gains. And we need to start talking about that here, too. Because if you're providing a really good product, to the kindergarten, these kids that know already, already know their letters and their sounds and their numbers, you've got to do more in kindergarten to deepen the learning. And then we also need to talk about what happens before, because kids come to preschool behind. And we've got to do a lot better job of improving the quality of those programs as well. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, just to backtrack a little bit, in case you're not, everyone in here isn't familiar with the pr program we have in Texas in place right now. It only covers a, a certain cohort of students. So it's four-year-olds who meet, a, you know, are fall into a category. It could be uh, unable to speak or comprehend English, educationally disadvantaged, homeless, child of an active duty U.S. Uh, service member, uh, foster care, et cetera. Uh, if the, the district that meets these requirements has 15 students, they are required to set up a pre-K program. If they have extra money, they can expand that to three-year-olds in the program. Uh, right now, we have about, last, uh, in 13-14, um, the state funded about $770 million for, for pre-K, and that covered uh, somewhere around 500,000 kids, something like that. Uh, that's both full day and half day, which we're probably going to talk about, too, the breakdown between we have full day in place right, or half day in place right now. A lot of people are advocating for full day pre-gay, which would require a lot more funding from the state. So uh, I actually wanted to go to Representative Giddings next to talk about there's, there's a divide, and it's one of the biggest points of contention now in the debate over pre-k 
between access and quality, and, and Libby talked about that a little bit, the fact that we have a lot of four-year-olds, a lot of kids in pre-K, in half-day pre-K in Texas, but the quality is debatable. So Representative Giddings, can you talk, talk to us a little bit about that divide and, and what you've seen in your years in education about how that can be overcome? Well, quality uh, really matters when it comes to pre-K. I, I think Libby has already talked about uh, when we get these students in pre-K, we're getting them at the point when they're just sponges and uh, they're absolutely ready uh, to learn. But we can't just take these students and put them in a classroom uh, and uh, have a daycare center. It's much more than that. We have to start with a curriculum, uh, and then we have to have a leader uh, with a vision. We have to have teachers who are experienced and well-trained in terms of being able to uh, work with students who are at that particular uh, level. We have to be very, very careful about our class sizes and make sure that they are, are small. Uh, obviously, the younger children are. Uh, the smaller the classes uh, ought to be if, in fact, we are going to uh, help those students reach their maximum uh, potential. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, I think we have to have some measure in terms of, of knowing uh, what we got for the investment that we made, because I think the greatest uh, return on our dollars in terms of investment in education happens at that pre-K level uh, just because of uh, the kids at the at the, where they are develop, developmentally and their uh, eagerness and, and readiness uh, to learn. So that investment, I think uh, the Bush Center says, and I think very conservatively, invest $1, you get back three. There are other people, I'm looking at a study that looks at uh, the children who went through pre-K in, uh, in Chicago, and this study just came out a few days ago, or at least in the last month, in the New York Times. And uh, they calculate, their economists calculate, that for every dollar invested, they generate $710 in benefits. And in terms of showing the other spinoffs that you get from quality uh, pre-K, they had a, their studies show that they have a 29% high, uh, higher 29% higher high school graduation rate for students who went through pre-K and a 42% lower arrest record for a violent offense than their peers. So pre-K really does pay off. The other thing that it does, if I might say very quickly, is it eliminates uh, some of these students getting in a situation where they have poor, uh, poor self-esteem, arriving at the schoolhouse for first grade two years behind their peers and uh, not doing very well, not because they're less intelligent, but because they've had less exposure and less experiences and because they have a vocabulary that is, is much smaller. So it is so much better to give these students a good start than to let them get out there and try to fix something that's broken. Uh, this past session, there was a bill passed, and, and Representative Huberty carried it. And I want any, anyone to jump in, but Representative Huberty, you probably would like to talk, start on this. Uh, there was so much debate over this bill, HB4, the high-quality pre-K bill, uh, about 
you know, for, against, full day, half day, how much money should we put into it? Uh, it ended up being about 118 million over the course of two years, which wasn't enough for some people and was too much for others. Um, and so that's where, what we're talking about now, implementing this bill over the next several years to try to encourage these programs that we already have to become higher quality. Um, but does the bill actually do that? Uh, I mean, is it going to reach those goals? Is it going to track well? Representative Huberty, would you like to sure. start on that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the interesting thing about the bill was, um, you know, I, I, I joked about this with one of my friends when I was at an event this past week, uh, John Pitts, we were talking about this. The Greater Houston Partnership was very involved in helping us pass the bill. And um, I had an idea what I wanted for pre-K. And then we met with the governor, and the governor said, that sounds great, but this is what I'd like to do. And so we kind of crafted and worked with the governor's office. It was very important for Governor Abbott, um, uh, as, as, as you've mentioned, um, that other states are doing things that, you know, this is important. He wanted to make a splash on how are we going to move forward with pre-K, recognizing that we really don't know how the kids are doing. We really don't. And, you know, there's about 250,000 kids. Uh, there's 500,000 eligible. Uh, there's about 250,000 kids that are actually in the program today. We actually appropriated about $1.8 billion. So uh, we're spending a lot of money on it, but we didn't really know what we were getting. We didn't have a clue, you know, what, what it was. Was it, was it really, you know, daycare? You know, was it just babysitting or what was it? So when we crafted the legislation, and, and you're right, we got hit from every side. Uh, we got hit from, from the left because we didn't spend enough. We got hit from the right because we didn't want to spend any. We got hit from the middle because, you know, it didn't have, you know, uh, all kinds of different programs. So we worked diligently with everybody and tried to. And Representative Giddings uh, was great in working with and other people. And it was really a bipartisan effort at the end of the day to try and get the, to get the bill done. But we accomplished some things that I think are going to be important on a move forward basis. Number one, uh, you know, one of my primary goals was to identify and work with private providers. I thought that was important uh, for us to be able to do. I mean, we're running out of room. A district like Gumbel ISD, where I was the president of the school board, we don't have capacity. I mean, we're running out of room. I mean, it's just a fast-growth school district. People are moving to Texas. They like living in Texas, and they got a lot of kids, and they've got a lot of young kids that are, that are moving <coughs> to these districts. And so, so we need to have capacity for that. So that was one of the primary focuses. On. Teacher certification. Um, you know, we, we found that uh, uh, school districts were saying to a teacher that they go and they get certified, and we have this on a, a much greater level, as we know, uh, across all uh, realms of, of, of classes, but in, primarily in pre-K, they weren't certified as pre-K education teachers. That's important. I think uh, uh, we talked about the fact that, you know, you got to catch the kids young. So we recognized we put that in the bill. We wanted to make sure that that was done. Um, gathering data, that was important to some people, and so we put some of those things in the bill. We thought it was important to identify and look at those things um, and see where we're at. Parental engagement plan. You know, I've heard this, you know, time and time again, and this is just a fact. If a parent is involved in a child's life, the kid is going to do better. That is just a fact. Now, we can't force people to do it. I can't force a parent to be involved in their child's life. You hope that they're going to be involved in that child's life. Uh, but we have to have a parental involvement plan, and we did that. I made sure that we did that. Um, and the good news is, is that, you know, when we had, you know, people like uh, Raise Your Hand Texas with David back there and, and uh, uh, Mr. Budd, who was very involved in that, and we had uh, the, the TASB and all the different groups that all came together and came to the office, they weren't saying no. They were saying, we want more. Um, and I live, in a, I live in reality world, and reality world says, I knew what I could get done. Um, and we put $130 million into the, into the program. 
and we're going to see where it goes. And so when you talk about you know, places like Alabama that put $10 million in, we put $130 million in on top of the $1.8 billion we're already spending. And I always ask this question in the room, how many people, raise your hands, how many people would like to pay more taxes today? <laughs> That's, well, we got some, we got some uh, interesting folks in the room. Well, good for you. You can send your check to the comptroller's office. He will take it. 90% um, of you didn't raise your hand. But we talk about pre-K and we talk about education. We talk about more money and people want more money. And it's great to talk about it, but the reality is you don't want to pay for it. So we had to compromise and look at how do we get the resources and the dollars into this program. And I recognize it was, a, it was, it was the first step in looking at how do, we, how do we balance this approach. And I think one of the things that's going to be interesting, the private providers, because they're taking care of those kids anyways. I mean, mom, mom's dropping them off at 7 o'clock in the morning. They're getting on a bus, going to the school, and then we're picking them up at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. So if we really create a good partnership, that's where we're going to be able to enhance the program, and there's going to be economies of scale, and there's going to be savings associated with that. So TEA is working on it right now. Uh, they've been very aggressive, been working hard with my staff. Ben Melson, Ben, for, for those of you who are involved in this, Ben helped me carry the bill, helped draft the bill, did a great job. I've um, uh, been working very hard with TEA on that, and so uh, you know, I feel good about where, where we stand today and, and look forward to you know, seeing what happens with the results you know, when, when uh, it comes out. Okay, great. Uh, I don't want to be a, a downer or encourage a fist fight on the stage, but uh, but I, wa I want to allow you to, to to respond to you know what, what you what you thought of the bill, um, whether you think it's a positive step or is it a step even? Is it one step? Is it a step? I, half a step? I'll I'll be good cop for a quick second. Okay. Um, well, I I come from an environment uh, San Antonio. We had had a, a large pre-K discussion prior. So I was, even as the new guy, uh, I was one of the folks pushing for more. But I do think it's a step in the right direction. I think that we're better than where we were, and I want to recognize that, and I know that it's hard. Um, but what we did in San Antonio was a little bit different and interesting. We had a one eighth cents sales tax capacity, and Julian, or Mayor Castro, Secretary Castro now, said, I want to spend that on education. But none of us knew exactly the best way to spend that money. So we assembled a, what he called a a uh, blue ribbon collective of folks, including uh, General Robles from USAA and Charles Butt. It was a very nonpartisan, bipartisan group to figure out what's the best way to spend that money. And they came back with uh, pre-K. We, we were expecting focusing on high school graduation or college matriculation, but they came back with pre-K because of the return on investment. And so we then put it to a vote uh, to uh, the residents of the city, whether or not they wanted to tax themselves. Uh, they voted in the affirmative, and so, so they said yes. They said yes, and I do want to. I do want to point out that while people may not have all raised their hands, we also provided tax breaks. That had we not provided those tax breaks, maybe we could fund this program. So there's an there's an inverted question that can be asked. But that program generates about 28 to 32 million dollars a year, and the way it works is kids get high quality full day pre K at four centers. Then money will be offered to school districts to enhance their programs from half day to full day, and Private providers can apply for competitive grants to also enhance their, their programs to full day. Um, the, way, the way we see it, you get a great return on investment and allows parents to go to work. Um, I think that the, the research is in the long game. It's not how are the kids, uh, they're in the second grade, but how are they doing when they're 30? How are they doing when they're 25? How are they doing when they're 45? Um, so coming from that environment where we had decided as a city to invest in it significantly, you know, I was here pushing for more, but I think it's fair to say that that program is going to last for eight years. And then in eight years, the city will have the opportunity to review and renew.
we're doing this in two years, and so we have a lot that we can get done. I think the mechanics of implementing it, which I know you'll talk about, is difficult, but sometimes I agree. It was a tough lesson for me to learn. You do have to sometimes bunt to advance a runner. Um, but are we better today than we were before? Absolutely. It's also important to note that San Antonio had the, the city of San Antonio had the ability to raise their taxes. Uh, a lot of cities in Texas are at the tax cap, which means they can't raise them in this sense to, to fund high quality pre-K, which is a problem with the school finance system and the tax system here in Texas that is you know, perennial and ongoing. Um, but Jenna, I wanted to give you a chance to respond. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, well, first, I just, you know, I do want to thank um, Hubert E. for your leadership and the efforts that you put into this pre-K bill. It was a hard-fought battle. Um, and one of the biggest wins, I think, from this pre-K bill is actually the data collection that we're going to have. So we do have a better picture of what's going on in our pre-K classes. Studies have shown that we know that our modest pre-K program is working. A research group here at UT at the LBJ School found that we're saving about $142 million a year um, in issues around like over our less reliance on special ed and increased grade retention, children not repeating a grade. So we have seen some positive gains, but we just don't really know what's going on in the big picture of our pre-K. Uh, one of my larger disappointments, though, with the bill was that there wasn't a larger push for full day. You can have the most qualified teachers, the best curriculum in the world, but if you have 35 kids for half a day, there's just not much to do. I mean, by the time you get their coats off and all their stuff in their cubbies and get one song in, it's time to, like, get those coats back in. <laughs> out of the cubbies, out the door. You know, and that's also why ratios are very important, because your high-quality teacher is not going to be effective with 35 students. So we really need to focus on expanding it to full day. And it also creates a work support for the parents um, of these children. It's a lot easier. I mean, I know it's a Saturday today, but what if you all had to leave in an hour or two to go pick up your kid from pre-K and then figure out what to do? It's just it's not very viable for a lot of families. So I think it is really great that we're going to have some increased data collection. Um, but I really do think that we could have done more. And I think that we need to continue the focus on full day, at least making it optional. Right now, over 50% of our districts are already offering full day on their own dime. So I think it's about time for the state to sort of step up its responsibility, just like we do for kindergarten. Uh, we, you can do an optional, a half day or full day, and the state will pay for a full day kindergarten. We should have that option for pre-K as well. So uh, let's talk about the gorilla in the room, which is money, uh, whether how much we want to spend on certain things, how we, you know, it, it, our tax is more important than education. Can, is it that simple? Um, and sitting through these hours and hours and hours of debate uh, with, with Representative Huberty and others that were looking at this bill, this HB4, the, it seems like we are past the point where people are asking, is it important? Everyone agrees it's important, um, but the money issue is a problem. Um, the, the legislature ended up capping, which they didn't have to do, but putting a cap on this program so that it wouldn't get out of control, so to speak. Uh, and they're not even meeting that cap. The cap is $130 million, and the, they ended up appropriating 118 for two years. So if, if there's not the political will or ability to funnel more money in, I mean, where do you go from there? Um, if, if, the, if the big debates are over tax cuts and, and that, that kind of issue, how do you even get to 200 million or 300 million or full day pre-K? I think the 20, uh, uh, the people in the state, I have to make their voices heard in terms of the legislature. There's no question, I, I completely agree with Representative Huberty working on this bill. 
that we finally had to decide whether or not we were going to go with a glass, uh, see that glass as half full or half empty. Uh, I chose to see it as half full because the truth of the matter is that Dan Huberty or Governor Abbott could not have gotten a bill out of the House and the Senate for $380 million. It, it just was not going to happen. The legislature did not have the will and the appetite. Uh, did I disagree uh, with, with the position we took? Yes, I did. Uh, but if we had pushed for the 380 or uh, whatever the number was that we wanted in there, the 360, the bill was going to go down and not just go down, it was going down like the Titanic. So I think <laughs> that one of the things that we have to do is those people in our communities uh, need to let their representatives know this is a priority for them. I was personally in a meeting that the governor had with a, a, some of us who were working on, on this bill, and this was a freshman who really, really challenged the governor and said to him, what you're doing is asking us to take on the responsibility that parents ought to uh, be taking on, and that is, you know, early childhood, that's the responsibility of the, of the parents. So this was a very hard-fought uh, bill. And uh, those of us who, who said yes to it didn't say yes to it because we didn't want more. We said yes to it because this, it was this or nothing. Uh, you know, I would say that, uh, you know, I, we, we've educated ourselves. I mean, the, the stats don't lie. I mean, if you start spending money on a child at an early age, uh, you're going you're gonna to get the results. If you choose not to spend the money on a child at an early age, you're going to pay for it anyways. You're going to pay in remediation exactly. costs. You're, you're going to pay for it. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, we can, we can sit up there and say it. And I had many colleagues that would say otherwise. Um, I have had the benefit of, of thousands and thousands of hours sitting in school board meetings and on the public education committee. And for those of you who, as you attend our public education meetings, understand we're very diligent about our review of programs, and this was one of them that, that, we, that we looked at. Um, you know, it's easy for people to say, we just need to spend more money, we need to have full day. Uh, I'm not convinced of that. Uh, I want to see the results, I want to see where we're at. I, I don't believe that it's responsible to just say, well, we're just going to spend another $800 million and see what happens. I would, you wouldn't do that in your business. I wouldn't do that. We, gonna, we need to get the results. So that's, that was the intent of what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to say, is this working? Is this the right thing? Are we, are we getting real results on it? And, and I have to defer. I know it's tongue-in-cheek to say, well, we can't do anything with the kids, and they just take their coats off. Then my response would be, if that's the position that people take, then we should just not fund pre-K if we're not going to do that, right? If we only have time for a song and take their coats off. That's just not, rea that's not reality. You know, that's, that's, a, that's really, in my mind, is saying that we're not doing anything with the, the $800 million that we're spending on an annual basis. I disagree with that. We are. But what we're asking the, the, the school district to do is prove to us what they're doing with that. One of the things that's critical is that we have not ever required school districts to align themselves to the TEKS. We did that in this particular piece of legislation. So now we know that there are TEKS. We assume that they have been doing that. We know that we think that they have been doing that. But we now want to make sure that school districts like Austin, I know school board members are here in the audience, people like Austin are doing it. We want to say, are you doing this? Are you aligning yourselves with the TEKS? Not Common Core, you know, 
what to teach. What are we teaching? How are we doing that? Are you laughing at me over there? <laughs> I'm, I'm, that was get, my bill too, you know. We couldn't get through so. an invitation <laughs> panel without saying um, Common Core, I think. But, um, <laughs> I had to get that in. You know that, so. There's a drinking game happening in the audience. <laughs> People are taking a sip now. But, but you, get, you get my point is that, 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 that my concern is that, that anything we do in education, anything we do in public education, there has to be a result. It has to be an investment in that child. And, and I think that's what HB4 really tried to accomplish. And I think that there's a lot of good ideas that we had along the way. But I want to make sure that when we capture that child, when they walk in the door, what are we doing with them? I want to jump in. Sure. Um, one is, thank you, because we have made some good steps forward. It will only be a baby step, and it's got to be followed by many other steps. I don't want you to think, though, you're going to see results immediately. Because the truth is, the, the results that we're seeing that really matter are showing up in junior high and high school. And then you heard my statistic that children who graduate, they graduate from high school, they earn more, but they live nine years longer. And they're six li times like, less likely to be arrested. So we're not gonna see results right away. The third grade reading, yeah, that's, but that's a tiny piece of what we want kids to know. No, we really want them to develop the motivation to learn. And that comes from a high-quality program, but you've got to track those kids for a long time. So if you think in two years that you're going to see a result from the 118 uh, million you put in, it's not going to happen. Well, there's also an issue here that I want I want to raise with the the time period that we have. You know, we have these legislative sessions every two years where we always have to re-up. This is a grant program, so the legislature is going to have to come back in two years, decide whether they want to put that money back in or less money or more money. But uh, something that I always wondered about the program that we talked about is there are a lot of pre-K programs in the state that are already meeting these high-quality standards or are near to it. And those programs are going to have easier access to this grant money because they're not going to have to do a lot to meet all of the benchmarks that, that TEA and the state puts out for them. But it's the programs, the pre-K programs that are down here, you know, that don't have enough teachers, that don't have enough support from the school district, you know, because of money, because of whatever, that aren't going to likely have access to the grants because they're gonna have to meet up, you know, they're gonna have to make up a lot more ground. So I mean what Chandra or, or yeah, Diego? I mean, that is, it's a huge concern for districts. It's going to be hard to plan one year to the next when it's grant funding. The more kids who become eligible as different districts build up their pre-K programs, it'll be less grant funding per child um, because we're looking at set dollar amounts as grants instead of putting things through the formulas. And, you know, luckily, um, kind of to respond to some of the things that Huberty said, a lot of our districts already see the value in a full day, and they know that they need more time than to just get the coats off and sing one song and get the coats back on. So they're making that investment in pre-K on the local level. And I also just want to remind everybody that we're in the middle of a school finance lawsuit that's challenging our entire school finance structure. And one of the biggest issues is that we're not investing enough for those students and printers, economically disadvantaged students. We have this amazing targeted program for those students in particular. So investing in those kids is a way to sort of address some of the court's issues and really make a difference early on. And since so many districts are recognizing the importance of full day, it's time that the state start to recognize that importance as well. Right, I, I think it's safe to say this, I know that we want to collect that and that's important, but the value of high quality full day pre-K is sort of undeniable. I mean, there is a truth there that it works. So it's not as if 
the rest of the country has figured it out and waiting to see if Texas is any different. We know that it works. The second thing is, I think you're right, the mechanics are difficult. If it's a, a grant program, and I think one of the things we were pushing for, and I think there's still a discussion to be had, is whether or not this creates a new basement, a new normal. Be because it's grant funded, you're going to take someone who maybe hasn't expanded, they're going to take a year to get their ducks in a row, and then maybe have a year of grant funding, and then we're back. And so it's very hard for them to plan long term to serve their community if it's so temporary. And I'm not saying that that takes away from the value of what we've done, but it certainly sets our sights elsewhere. And I also want to say, again, maybe this is freshman BS and maybe it's idealistic, but I think that part of the stress, part of the, the angst this session was it felt like we had the chance, the opportunity to do more. And I recognize the political reality of not doing it. So you might just hear some wistfulness from us, but I, I want to be clear that that doesn't mean that we believe we shouldn't do what we did. You're absolutely right. Get as much as you can, move forward, and build on that. And I think that part of what we're saying is we want to make sure there's something we can build on and that's not a one-time thing and then it goes away or we take a step back. Well, I, I, if I could jump in mm -hmm. there, certainly I think we should have done more. Mm -hmm. uh, but that... Uh, thinking that we should have done more uh, met with the votes that were out there. So, I mean, I, I didn't need to be wait. I, I don't need to wait for some new evidence or some new data uh, to tell me that we can use more dollars in pre-K. We should we should be spending more than we spent. But I was dealing with reality. Some of us may remember uh, being on appropriations. I remember. Uh, that prior to 2011, we had $200,000 in pre, uh, $200 million in pre-K grants. So we're not back up to where we were in 2011. But then when we look at education overall, for the most part, we're still not back where we were. And, and so we've, we've, we've lost uh, some ground. And, uh, you know, I, I still think that the voters need to get engaged in this matter. Right, we want to make sure that we're advancing, and that's sort of cheering ourselves on as we play tetherball with ourselves, right? Yeah, I think I, I want to open it up for questions, but I just want to mention also that uh, there has been discussion, and, and I wasn't in those, I wish I was a fly on the wall in those meetings <laughs> with the governor, uh, but there has been discussions about whether uh, reinstating these grants, so to speak, or, or moving forward is a baby step towards putting pre-K funding in the formulas. So that would mean requiring more pre-K funding through the, how we fund our public schools. Obviously, Chandra made reference to that's going to be in flux as well because we have a court case one, you know, questioning whether or not the way that we fund schools is even constitutional. That you know, happens every three years now, it feels like, that that goes to the courts. But that's going to you know, cause a little bit of Constant, yes. You know, what I would, you know, I think that the, the, the underlying issue really here is that, that we, we, were, we did what we needed to do this session to move the ball forward. Um, you know, without the leadership of, of um, our chairman, uh, Jimmy Don Acock, the speaker, and other people that had the will to push this. And then on the other side, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, um, you know, he took some heat. Uh, for pushing this issue and pushing this agenda. I'd like to thank him publicly for that. If you that don't remember, he got some heat from he did. the Tea Party, a Tea he Party did. group that he, he actually formed to help him uh, on well, policy issues. Yeah, but that's not, that, you they're, know. They're he, an independent he's group. A, he is a strong proponent of education. He's got a lot of ideas. And I think that, that what, what I'm trying to get mm -hmm. to is that 
when you when you collaboratively work together to get things done, and Senator Campbell carried this uh, on the on the floor in the Senate and did a did a great job, and recognizing that the things that she needed to do in her body to get the bill across the finish line were important as well, um, and so that was a it was a very unique situation where um, you know education and you know this you cover this education probably gets 40 percent of all the bills filed right everybody runs for office and says i'm going to fix the system and i'm coming to austin i'm going to be conservative and this and that and the other and the first thing they do is file some mandate for school education on something right you know so so we deal with all that stuff but but this was important enough to do that the reality is, is that, you know, I've worked for a lot of men over the years, but one of the guys that I worked for that I always respected was Boone Pickens. And he said to me one time, he says, When's the, when, when, what day do you plant a tree? When's the most important day? When can you plant a tree? What's the best day, the day to do that? And he says, it's today. Not tomorrow, not a week from now, not a year from now. What we did is we planted a tree in, this, in the 84th legislative session to say to ourselves, let's see how this grows. I, I, I disagree with you a little bit. We're not, you know, we can't just say we're going to spend $118 million and we're getting nothing for it. If you said that to my Republican caucus, guess what? You wouldn't get the $118 million. We are going to get results. We are going to prove to the taxpayers that the money that we're spending is important um, and that we are going to get results. We're going to demand results. TEA is working very hard and their staff is on top of this to make sure that the money we're spending is going to be beneficial to that. And then we come back and prove that it's going to go forward. The Texas legislature has a wonderful system. We come back every two years and get to debate our budget and figure out what programs we're going to fund and we're not, we're not going to fund, what's working and what's not working. It's a wonderful system. Um, and so I think that uh, this was a great first step as we go forward. Uh, I don't have a watch on, so I'm a horrible moderator, but I'm going to open it up for, for questions. We've got about 15 minutes. Okay, perfect. Uh, so if you have a question, come to either Mike and identify yourself, uh, try to keep it a question and not a tirade or a comment, and whoever wants to answer can Thank you all for being here. My name is Brendan Garcia from the University of Dallas. I just had a question. Uh, Representative Huberty, I was one of those people who did not raise their hand when you asked about taxes. And the reason why is I'd like to find out what my money's paying for, and I haven't really heard any actual specifics about what you would spend it on besides a longer day. I'd like to think it's higher quality educators. Sure. I'd just like to know what you think about that. And my second question is, what is the stupidest thing that we're spending right now in our taxpayers, or taxpayers' dollars, and what could, you know, how could you divert that to education? Sure. Well, um, I, think it's, I think it's important to say, you know, we have over a $200 billion budget that we have. 35, 36% of our entire budget uh, of all funds is spent on, on education. Uh, so if you think about the size and scope of that, on general funds, 55% of every dollar, all general funds, now all dollars includes federal dollars, but general revenue that we generate, taxpayers in the state of Texas, 55% of all dollars we spend are on public education. Um, and so I've always heard we don't do enough, we don't spend enough and everything else. Think about that, 55% of every dollar we spend. So, um, you know, when people say, you know, so your second question first, which is what stupid program we have, um, I was here in 2011 when I started my legislative career and we had to cut $27 billion out of the budget. Um, I think we did our jobs in figuring that out. Now, obviously, I know Helen's going to disagree uh, that we shouldn't, you know, but, but we have a requirement to balance a budget here in the state of Texas. Uh, and so, so we've looked at programs, and if they're not working, we get rid of them. Uh, that's important. You, 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 you probably answered uh, the first question yourself, which is what are we spending it on? That's exactly what the, the, the intent of the legislation is. 
you know, we wanted to make sure that we had an opportunity private, uh, with the private providers, but we wanted to make sure that we had a high quality program go in place. That's why we mandated that the TEKS uh, were, were instituted in it. We also made sure that the teachers are gonna be certified. We have to certify the teachers. They have to know what they're teaching, right? You know, we have to make sure that that's important and we want them to be certified to be able to do that. And so we'll give them the resources to be able to see what's happening. And then the data collection point, you know, what is the class size? How is it working? You know, I, I, I've been through the debate on what's the appropriate class size, what's not the appropriate class size. You know, that, that is a debate that will go on forever. Um, I'm not naive enough to not think that, you know, um, you know, 30 kids running around a classroom is, is, is just cattle herding. You know, I mean, I get that. But, I want to make sure that, that, we're, that we're doing that. So that was really kind of the intent is to, to take the 800 million that we're already spending, or 850 million that we're already spending, lop on the 118 on top of that, and continue to monitor the results. And I think that we are gonna continue to move forward. My intention is, and I think the governor's intention clearly is, is that, that we want to invest in our children. We want to invest in the education of our children. They are our future. They are the most important thing. That's the reason I'm here. That's what I do. That's the reason I do this. I do it for my kids and your kids. And so I think we'll see that. Can, can I, talk, I want to talk quickly about teachers because I think that that is critically important. I think your teacher certification or our teacher certification system doesn't work very well. Uh, right now we have certification from pre-K to sixth grade. We know that teaching young kids is very different from teaching uh, sixth grade or fifth grade. It needs to be a play-based environment. If you walk in, you think, oh my gosh, these kids aren't learning anything, they're playing. But then if you really have a good eye, you realize they're playing with blocks, but they have a, uh, a book there that they've just read about bridges and they're learning how to build bridges and then maybe they're going over and actually telling a story about building bridges. And they're developing this huge vocabulary that's so important for reading. So we need to have a certification system at the great universities, like we're at right now, that supports that kind of certification instead of this general uh, certification where teachers come out and then all of a sudden the school district or, or someone else is gonna have to provide intensive uh, training because they really didn't get it when they were in college. Just, just as some background on that, of course, other states, uh, uh, many other states do have that. And I'm still researching the why of it. Uh, but up until maybe 10, 12 years ago, Texas had that. Right. So I'm still trying to find out why we moved away from a certification that would have been pre-kindergarten to third grade mm -hmm. and then on up. And just very quickly, one of the elements of the San Antonio program is professional development. So at the centers, you have master teachers working with other teachers, and then if you're, if you're a teacher from pre-K to third grade, you can come to a center and get certified and have constant professional development for free from any school district, anywhere. That's, a, that's an element that's not talked about that much. It's not just educating the kids, but also bringing the teachers up to par. I also, Chanda might, might want to speak to this, but TEA has, the commissioner has some rulemaking authority, and that includes teacher certification. So one of the big parts of the, the debate on HB4 was what exactly does teacher certification mean? And it was expanded to include not just the one form of teacher certification that people think of as teacher certification. So uh, the commissioner, if he wants to, can actually expand that further over the next several months to include different kinds of programs, et cetera. But I know that there's a lot of teachers that are wondering if that's going to be something that they're, they fall into. So. Yeah, um, and just with the, the speaker or the question that we were asked, 
Um, yeah, the greatest thing I think that's coming out of HB4 is the data collection. We are finally going to know what our money is being spent on in pre-K and how that's happening because that data collection is going to happen for all pre-K programs, not just the ones that receive the grant funding. So that is a really, really great thing. Um, but when you're thinking about, you know, the thing you asked about things that we're wasting money on, we left money on the table. Like, we don't even have to talk about the big tax cuts that were passed. We left, you know, our budget was $3 billion under the spending cap. So there is still money there. So we don't even have to pick at the things we don't like in the budget when there is still money on the table that was I, left I, unappropriated. I, I hate to interrupt you. Did you, not, did you not just see the revenue reforecast from the controller this week? That yeah, well, lowered? we did have $6 billion, but now we have 3 and yeah, we're still below the cap, and there's a the rainy day fund. But that's a little bit in the weeds, I think, for <laughs> I don't think that's in the weeds. I think, you know, the, the reality is we decided as legislators to spend what was important because we knew that where we're at economically, that's what we're here for. We, we look at things and we make decisions. It's easy to sit there and say, oh, we didn't spend all the money. Well, guess what? There was a reason that we don't. And the reason came true this week. Unfortunately, our economy has not improved. People are hurting. People are losing their jobs. We have to make sure that we can continue to fund the programs that we have. And that was the decision that we made. Let's try to get a couple more questions yeah. in, sir. I had a question about the role of high-quality daycare filling the gaps until participation in, in certified uh, public school uh, 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 pre-K numbers grow. You know, for instance, in Dallas County, uh, the, the city of the DISD does um, uh, uh, provide full-day daycare, but there are huge gaps all over the city where they simply don't have the teachers or the facilities to do it. There's a vote coming up which may help alleviate that. In the meantime, there are about 1,500 daycare centers in Dallas County. Most of them aren't very good, but a couple hundred of them are. Uh, and they're run by places like Education First Steps and organizations like that. Now, most of those teachers are sending their kids to kindergarten ready to learn. So they're passing the kindergarten readiness test at their schools. So they're providing a service right now that the public schools aren't because they're not yet geared up. Okay, so that speaks to the, the public-private, which HB4 does allow for, um, you know, grants go to, to private entities. But, I mean, what about this question of, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats? This isn't, you know, it's not even. There's going to be some entities that receive the grant money and others that don't, and there's going to be gaps. How do you deal with the gaps? Can anyone speak to that? Well, I, I think the private uh, entities uh, coming in and getting involved with this is absolutely critical because one of the things that, uh, um, well, you said a few minutes ago, school districts in many cases don't have the facilities. A lot of people may not know. You cannot put pre-K kids in a portable and you can't put them on the second floor of a school building. So there's a whole different set of rules that you have uh, to look at. And uh, I think Dallas has, has done some wonderful things in addressing these, these uh, issues. But obviously, I think we're going to have to do more in terms of utilizing uh, the private resources that are out there, including facilities. And I would say the intent of what we did to your question specifically on the private providers was very simple, is that we recognized, and this really kind of came from discussions I had with superintendents, um, Humble ISD Guy Sconzo and, and HB Chambers and, you know, Duncan Klusman, all said the same thing. Hey, you know, even if you said we're going to do full-day pre-K, we can't. We don't have the resources to do it. We don't have the capacity to be able to do it. And my original intention of what I was going to do was a private 
relationship. That was initially what I wanted anyways, because I recognize there's Primrose Academy, Kids Are Kids, those groups that are out there that are really good programs. Um, but I want to make sure that when we talk about partnering with them, that the school district has some oversight and implementation. And because they're entrepreneurs, and you may own one of those businesses, sir, I don't know, but, but because you're an entrepreneur, you should strive to want to be a part of, uh, of Umble ISD's program or Houston ISD's or Dallas ISD's program to, to, to be able to have that partnership. You should want to be able to do that. That was the intent of what we did. It's also why the professional development he's, and certification he's, he's, piece is so important, because if you can get a private provider and get their folks certified and up to par, then they can offer capacity to have those kids. And so then, then they become good, eligible candidates for grants. Yeah, I'm also very supportive of the public-private um, public partnerships around pre-K. I think it's really important. The facilities issue is a big one for a lot of districts. And it also helps with work supports, because even a full-day program isn't enough for some working parents. So being able to provide the pre-K services within a daycare setting, where you know that there's before and after care, it relieves a lot of stress for parents. So we're very supportive of the public-private partnerships as well. I think that was a great part. So I'm not an interested party, but I do in, in the area. I just leaned over and. As she told me. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. <laughs> All right, this I think this might have to be the last question, ma'am. Good morning. My name is Danny Alba, and I work for Boeing. Um, my question is: We I've heard that you've got a good start, that we have a lot of good places in place. But what's happening at the district level to make sure that you do sustain the game? How are these programs going to work? Um, in the districts to kind of make sure the pipeline continues that we get the results that we want to see in junior high, high school, and going on to college. Okay, everybody's looking at me. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so here's where we're at right now. TEA's been working on the rulemaking on this particular issue. A lot of people have been involved in this, you know, Greater Houston Partnership, raise your hand. Um, every, you know, SBOE's been involved. I mean, there has been a lot of people that have been involved uh, in this particular. They're rolling out the, on, on how it's going to work. Uh, and, and your implementation process this year, funding goes into next year as we, as we continue to go forward. So there's a lot of moving parts. Actually, uh, TEA put a website up uh, on, off of the, a page off of their page, right, Ben? Yeah, okay. And uh, so you can go to TEA's website and they have the, all the, the metrics that you, and the requirements that you'll have to go through, the school districts will have to go through. The good news is, is that um, at the TASB TASA conference that they had two weeks ago, mm -hmm. um, this was one of the topics of discussions and, and how to. And so it was a very uh, good discussion, very positive steps. Superintendents were very positive about it. And again, I, I think that, that the good news is I think we agree it's a good thing, it's a good step forward. It's just how do we get there and how much do we spend, right? You know, so uh, they are uh, b being very aggressive on, on moving forward with that. The, one of the things we also did on the certifications, which was important because I know we talked about this, but uh, the, uh, the regional service centers that we have throughout the, uh, throughout the state, uh, we also made sure that they provided the, that additional training for that pre-K programs. Um, and I know that I had just met with one of the, the largest alternative certification uh, providers here in the state. Um, and uh, recently, and we were talking specifically about this, and they are very engaged um, in getting those, those teachers trained uh, for that pre-K program. Because it is a different kid, it's a different, it's a different mechanism. Um, and, and my hope is, um, because I think those of you who know me, I talk about this a lot, is that you know, I, have a, I have a 504 student, I have a special needs student, and, and uh, um, you know, we caught him sort of early, but not early enough on, 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 a, on, a, on a reading deficiency that he particularly has. I wish we had caught it in kindergarten or pre-K. It'd be, it'd be a world of difference for him and for us. 
And I hope that someday um, these programs we implement will be able to identify and catch those kids as early. You know, I'm, I'm tired of hearing about, oh, they're just, they have ADD, let's give them a pill. That's just perhaps not the reality of it. And so as we continue to look at these programs, I think that we're going to start looking at measuring those results, I'm hoping. Uh, I just want to, we're, we're going to have to end there, but I just wanted to give the teacher, most, this mostly for teachers, superintendents in the audience, kind of an update. So I sat down with TEA for about an hour about HB4 implementation last week. Um, there's a number of things they have to do over the next nine months or so. They're going to be reviewing and updating the pre-K standards. So that just went through a revamp a few years ago. They're doing that again. So uh, they're taking input from people. So that's just uh, for y'all's notice. Um, they're looking, they're having a work group to develop guidelines for family engagement, which was something that uh, Representative Giddings was, was instrumental in encouraging. And they're also going to be choosing a list of the approved um, progress monitoring tools. So this is, you know, how do we keep an eye on kids in pre-K and grade them without grading them. You know, this isn't going to be star for pre-K, but how do we make sure that there are gains being made? They're going to be looking at companies to be able to track that. So that's all happening in the next nine months. There's not grant applications out yet, but they will be. Uh, and uh, TA's got a lot of work. They have one staffer. They're about to have two staffers. So they got a lot of work. Um, if you want to talk to anyone on the, the panel afterwards, feel free to come up. Sorry, guys. Come up and talk to them. And uh, thanks for coming out so early to talk about a really important issue. Appreciate it.